Well, this morning we're going to talk about the racial climate in America right now, and specifically in the church. How how are you handling currently the racial climate? Whether you live in America or we, I know there's people from other countries, um, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about just. What, what can we learn? What does God want us to do? How can we address some of the things that we're seeing in our nation right now? How can we not be silent about things that the church needs to speak out about? And uh, the thing that stirred in my heart is break the silence. Because so often there's topics that need to be talked about in church, but people are afraid to talk about it. Because what if I say something that's offensive? Or what if I make a bunch of people mad? You probably will. <laughs> That's the good risk to take. It's the risk to take. But what we felt in our heart was to just take some time to just talk um, things that we're learning here because we are a multicultural church and uh, we're, we're a diverse church and we want to continue being that. And it requires intentional conversations that we have, um, you know, privately, one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes in a group. And then we've talked about it at times in front of our whole church where we talk about things that we need to talk about. So... Today we're going to do that. I want to read a scripture to you and then we'll jump right into it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. I'm so glad that Jesus bleeds red blood that connects all races, all tribes, all tongues, all languages. There's no barrier. There's no superiority, inferiority. We're all part of Christ's body. We're all equal. We're all one. We're all in this together. So let's talk for a moment. Let's introduce ourselves starting right here. Hi, um, I am Pastor Sharisa. I'm John's wife and um, I serve Victory and I, I love it and I serve my husband and yeah. yeah. So, um, my, my name is John. Uh, I serve here in the creative department, but I, I get to serve with all these other behind the scenes, the camera, um, print, designs, uh, all, the, all the type of stuff, webs, all that stuff. And I love it. And I get to serve my brother. And I serve her, mostly. <laughs> we all serve our wives, yes. My wife is right there on the front row. Come on, babe. Yeah. Well, y'all know me. I've been talking up here. My name is Paul. Go ahead. Yes, my name is Tim. My wife, she's up. She's directing the camera, so we, we all serve in here. <laughs> but serve here at, at, at Victory. Love it. Uh, by way of the Dream Center. I'm the program director there, so that's what I do. My name is AJ. I serve as the administrative pastor at Victory and also the executive director for the Tulsa Dream Center. Is that CJ back there? No, that's not CJ. Sorry, you look like CJ, brother man. Praise God. <laughs> so... We were, we were talking, and really, it's, you know, where do we dive into this whole conversation? Um, obviously, it seems like there's been an escalated tension that's resurfaced in our country. That's, that's been there, obviously, from before any of us were born. But it seems like the enemy has tried to stir up something again in the last year. How many have felt a climate shift in the last couple of years and... And, and especially the media portrays so much hostility and so much tension. It almost wants to stir up more yeah, they, anger. They enjoy it. Say what, Charissa? So they enjoy it. They're just trying to get people to watch TV. Mm -hmm. And so we want to talk about that. Charissa, I'll let you kind of kick it off, sharing just kind of your heart. No, Sorry. it's good. Okay, well, um, you know what? I was talking to my amazing sister-in-law. She's amazing, Ashley. And she, she gave me a, a good thing I should do. And I want to tell you, like, the perspective I'm coming from. You know, <clears throat> first I'll tell you a quick story. So my, my mom and my dad, my dad is, is black and my mother is white. And so they were dating in the 80s. And that's when it was really, really taboo. And so they told me a story that one time... 
they were in a restaurant with me, their little mixed baby, and a person came up and said, I can't believe you would do that to your daughter. And, and then someone else came up and heard it and said, that wasn't right. You shouldn't have said that. And he, and he put his hand on my dad and he was like, but she is going to have problems. And my dad's response is the response that he gives all the time and it's defined my life. He was, not, he was not offended by them. He was not afraid of them. He did not feel attacked. He said, you know, thanks but no thanks. My daughter will have the best of both worlds. And you know what? Um, I have uh, grown up with that and my father was very, uh, very mindful growing up to let me know you are black and white. So we, uh, we did, we weren't, uh, what's the word, like colorblind. We were, uh, we talked about race, but it was always celebrating it. So for Christmas, if one, if my sister got a white doll, I got a black doll, and vice versa. You know what I mean? No, literally, literally. And we would have days of the week where, all right, you're only listening to like gospel or black music. Um, it was like one day a week, and, and it was that my father was, and, and then every so often we have um, black buster nights. And so, <laughs> yeah, everyone is black knows what I'm saying, but. I say that to say, but then again, yeah, my father, he, it wasn't that he was like, I'm going to make sure that my daughter's a certain way. He goes, no. He goes, I want you to celebrate every part of yourself. And in doing that, I learned that my blackness was not in a box. People would be like, why do you talk white? I go, I'm sorry, I talk correct English. Who said that was white? I bind the devil. I own all languages with Jesus. So I'll speak every language correctly. And if I want to speak Ebonics, I'll do that too, okay? So everyone, uh, but um, I think I went off a tangent. But uh, anyway, but I want to say this. I want to be very mindful in the church that we are leading um, in, in racial reconciliation, but I'm going to tell you something, it shouldn't even be a thing, but it is. So it shouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing because people have been neglecting it. And um, we don't want the world to lead in this area because the world is lost. I'm talking capital L-O-S-T, okay? So they're going to try to fuse, um, you know, LGBT and all that jazz with uh, racial stuff, and it, it's a hot mess. But already in the Word of God, even with Moses, did you guys know that Moses married, a, Moses married a black woman? If you look in Numbers, she was a Cushite. And scholars have, uh, the, the Cushites were from Ethiopia. She's a black woman. And guess what this? There was some racial conflict. Miriam was mad at Moses, upset with him because he married Zipporah. And so this is what happened. The Lord struck her with leprosy and he said, I will make your skin white. So I want to say this too. I celebrate White and black, I, but you know, my dad sometimes be like, why we gotta call the, say like things like the black sheep of the family, this and this and that. You know, the Lord said, I'm gonna make you white with leprosy, okay? So a color thing, whiteness doesn't mean you're pure, blackness doesn't mean you're pure, the blood of Jesus makes you pure, okay? Okay, I need to stop, I don't know where I'm word. going. That's no, a good word. No, it's really good, you know, and I'll let AJ take it, you know, here. You and Amber married. You guys are interracial marriage. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you were sharing with me just back in the room, things that y'all have experienced. I think one of the things we're praying for today is bringing awareness, breaking silence to talk about things that we just need to talk about from the stage here at Victory. Show the picture of my crew up there. You can see my, my crew. Maybe, no. Anyway, so my wife is Asian half Asian and no okay my wife is half Asian and we have two beautiful daughters that I say we created Blasian babies black and Asian everybody say Blasian so for us you know my, my obviously I'm black and for us everybody a lot I shouldn't say everyone a lot of people in my family were like hey red birds and blue birds don't mix and, and so for us, I had to make a decision. Am I going to follow God in my heart, which was for my wife, or am I going to sub succumb to the pressures of my family? And obviously, I have two Blasian babies, so I made a decision to honor God and, and, and love my wife. But I think Martin Luther King and Pastor Paul said it in the back that 11 a.m., Dr. Martin Luther King said 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. Sunday at 11 a.m. 
And I think whether you're in a different country, whether you are a missionary, whether you are a pastor, race is real. But how do you deal with that? Everything be rooted and grounded in love. Does love see color? No. Does love see gender? Well, gender is male and female, not what the world describes. But for us, we've got to make a decision. Do I choose love? Yeah. And if, as believers, if you are making a decision to choose Christ, you should be also, you have no choice but to make a decision to say, I choose love. And love doesn't matter if they're black, if they're Asian, if they're Indian, if they're Dominican, my Dominican friends. It, if, it doesn't matter what they look like because my response is love. Yeah. Jesus didn't die on the cross and say, I'm only dying for one race. I'm only dying for that race. He died for all races. And Pastor Paul and Sharissa alluded to it in the beginning. How many of us take communion or have taken communion before? Okay, so obviously we know that Jesus bled out of, of his side and his hands and feet and the thorn that was put on his head. But when he died, every curse that we live, can live under, was covered under the blood. Racism was covered under the blood. So if you here as leaders, as individuals are making a decision to say, I choose Jesus, you're saying, I make a decision, I choose love. They may look different, they may talk different, they may persecute me, but I choose love and love is a choice. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's powerful. Now they have the picture, throw the picture up. Come on, beautiful family. You can't say that ain't love right there, boy. That's an amazing emblazons. Tim, share, share a little bit about, you know, as we're going into this conversation, things that you were starting off talking about when we were talking. Yeah, I just echo, just, it's love. You know, that's, the, that's, really the, that's really the key. You know, I, one of the things that I would hear, you know, Pastor Sharon, she, was always, she used to always say all the time that truth is, uh, that's an attack on truth. People are always trying to attack, attack truth and they're making it subjective. Well, truth is not subjective. There, there is an absolute truth, and yes, it's the Word of God. But what often is what has happened is that when our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, they're saying, I'm hurting. And we say, well, I haven't experienced that, so you can't be hurting. That's not love. And that's really is what has been the big uh, divide in the church, is that there's a group of people that's saying, hey, I'm hurting over here. But then there's another group saying, hey, I don't think so. Are you sure? You sure you're hurting? I don't know. Maybe not. And so they're looking for an advocate. They're looking for someone to say, you know what? I, I, I hear you. I, what can we do to help you? But instead, we're turning a blind eye to it. Just like what Sharice was saying, like, we have to lead the conversation. The church has to lead the conversation. The body of Christ has to lead the conversation. Because right now, the media is... And that's when you get everything that you're, you're having right now, all the violence and the anger, because it's not being led with love. Yeah. But when the conversation's being led with love, then that's when change actually started happening. There was marches. The first march in Selma wasn't done with mixed races. It was one group of people that marched. But when the other, other churches came behind them and the body of Christ came, different white clergymen came and started marching, then that's when things started making traction. It takes the whole entire body of Christ to come together and say, you know, I'm going to step up and I'm going to lead in this conversation. That's when change starts happening. Yeah. I was talking to my father just, just the other day. He marched the streets of Birmingham. He grew up there. He was a high school student that walked out. He's still alive today. And he said, until his white friends became a part of the conversation, we saw no movement. That's what it takes. It takes the body of Christ saying, you know, we're going to come together and we're going to begin to lead in this conversation. Black, white, and other. So good. Our, yeah. 
we were talking about this. Victory Church is made up of 110 nations. And it was in the 80s that my dad made an intentional decision to change how our church looked. He turned around, and when he turned around in the 80s, he looked, and we were in the Maybe Center, and it was a big church, thousands of people meeting, packing out the Maybe Center auditorium at Oral Roberts University. But he looked around, and he said, everyone's the same color. We're, he said, I'm tired of being a lily white church. I want to be diverse. And he asked a pastor of a different ethnic race, how do I build a diverse church? And he said, well, you've got to start You've got to start changing the diversity on stage, on your staff. You've got to be intentional about getting different people that, that, that don't look just like you um, next to you, speaking up on stage, leading worship. And so it, it started changing our church. And, um, and today, thankfully, we've continued to be a multicultural, multi-generational, um, because we, want, we don't want to just be one age group or one uh, race. We want to be a united church, that's what heaven's gonna look like, right? I mean, heaven's gonna be all tribes and all tongues and all ages. And so I think what Tim, Tim, what you're saying, uh, there was, let me say like this too, this last year, God laid it on my heart to preach a Sunday morning and really just talk on this topic and to have a different, couple different people share. Well, after service, this man came up to me and he said, he said, Paul, I've been coming here for about 15, 20 years. He said, I, I started coming when victory changed in the 80s. And he said, when your dad started really changing the church, that's when I came. And, um, and he said, I remember always believing that phrase that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, that Sunday 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in the American week. But he said, I want us to put a quote up on the walls at victory that has that quote from Martin Luther King, but then right underneath it, not at my church. And when he said that, something jumped inside of me because he said it doesn't have to be like that. Um, Tim, I feel like you were really starting to go somewhere. I, I, I don't want to stop you, so I just feel like you should keep sharing. Yeah, on that, on that subject of just, just churches and diversity, you know, I, my wife, she has the privilege to, to, to edit TV shows for number of different ministries and one particular minister that she does is you know he preached right on the stage last night bishop td jakes how many of you guys enjoy bishop td jakes you know he was awesome awesome packed out this place up upstairs downstairs gym overflows it was it was amazing but one thing i always found interesting with the different ministries that we that, that we um, that we serve and with our company is that most of my african-american pastors and they have a really hard time finding white members that come to their church. And, you know, and, 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 it's, and for me, it's like, I'm like, man, why is, why is that? I'm willing to submit today. There's, there's obviously some, some, some soul searching that needs to be taking place. Is that, is there a biasness of, I do not want to submit myself under authority under a black man? As much as I love Bishop Jakes, He's a great pastor. He only has two to three percent Caucasian at his church. I love Bill Winston. He's awesome. Maybe, how many would you say, Daniel? Maybe four or five percent? Maybe? Not that much? You see, I love Creflo Dollar. He's amazing. I know the families, I can count on one hand, that go to his church out of 20,000 members. Wow. Why is that? Wow. Why is that? Do, is, there, is there something in us that do not want us to submit ourselves on an authority under a, someone of a different race? I think there may be. I think there may be. And so that's something that like, and I heard this quote from someone um, a, a, a few months back. And this article that I was reading, she was saying that, that, that blacks, we have, we have done our best to say we want to, re, we want to uh, desegregate churches and, and we have done our best to, to go into these churches, but it's never been reciprocated to them coming to ours. So like we, we, we you're, you're quick to find us to a church where like 
at a victory where oh, we submit on a, black, a white pastor. That's, that's, that's one thing. But for my white counterpart friends, will they be willing to go to a church that's led by an African-American? So, yeah. And I, I truly believe that's, that's a great point that you're bringing up. I truly believe that God's up to something right yeah. now in our country. There's a, there's a shift. How many of y'all are sensing a shift in that? Absolutely. And um, you know, one of my close friends, Mike Todd, and uh, Mike and I have talked often about this. He's a pastor right here in Tulsa. And just, I truly believe that God's shifting things in our city, in our country. And in Tulsa, there's history of race riots. Uh, there's, I mean, the massacre. Um, and John and Teresa, you guys have encountered at times different things that, you know, I feel like it would be good to even share bringing awareness again and bringing an understanding on what it takes walking through that and keeping your heart in a place of love. Walking through... Well, just people saying yeah. things, well, treating um, you yeah. a certain way. Well, you know what? Um, I, can count on, I, can, I think I can count on my hand the very def distinct moments where I was like, ooh, someone just said something odd to me. Um, but I uh, recently, um, and this wasn't, this statement didn't come from a place of this person was trying to offend me. They were being very careful. And I was meeting with someone and we were talking and she goes, I have a question for you. And it's personal. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. I was like, it's okay. And she was like, well, why didn't you marry a black man? And she was black. And so I said, you know, I'm going to give you the answer that my mother gave her grandmother. My mother's white. My mother's grandmother asked her, why didn't you bring home a nice white man? And she said, because I fell in love with a black one. I married John because I fell in love with him. I wasn't looking for a color. I celebrate color now. And I have no problem saying, that black guy, that white guy over there. I celebrate color. But, but it should not be a barrier in any way of if you could be in a, in a union and, and in, in a marriage with them. I, when she said that, again, I'm usually not, I'm not offended when people say things. I'm more like processing it. It made me think, wow, why does she think that as a black woman, she can only marry a black man or a white woman can only marry a white man? And, and I think that's a real litmus test that if your child your son or daughter came home with someone of another race, as long as they're the opposite gender, of someone of the other race, and, and they were wanting to date them, how would you approach that? Would you be like, yes, as long as this is a man or woman of God and this is the person for you, great. But would you maybe be resistant and try to push that person out because you wanted a family of the same color? I, I had a, one of my best friends way back in school. She said, Sharisa, you know, I am not trying to be mean, but when I get married, I want my family to all look the same. And I, she's telling me this to me, I'm mixed, you know, like my mom's my dad's black. And again, I wasn't offended because I was raised to not let that stuff penetrate me because you can't hurt me because I got the favor of God on my life. I mean, God will part the Red Sea for me. Like someone could be not like me because I'm black, I'm still gonna surpass them. Anyway, but I'm just saying, but my response to her was just, you know what? Well, the, okay, if you're gonna think like that, but you know, God may have a black man for you, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, John, did you have anything, babe? Oh, yeah. So whenever I was younger, we only had three channels growing up, two, six, and eight, because my mom and dad thought cable was of the devil or something. And <laughs> so I would go to Grand Grands and watch BET. <laughs> That's why... From day one, I was like, I'm, I, I picked this. And so, uh, so, anyway, I'm just being honest. Um, it's a, yeah, hold on, hold on, mom, hold on. This is okay. It's getting real okay. right now. So, and, and, and so one thing that 
you know, it was the same thing. I actually, I fell in love with Charissa, um, and it was the same, it was the week before a wedding, and someone was like, hey, how has it been interacting with their family? I was like, oh, I love them. They're so fun. It's awesome. And I was like, they don't laugh at my jokes, but they just kind of laugh at me, so it's fun. And, <laughs> and they're like, well, is it different, you know, like being around her family than it is being around your family? And I like wasn't following. I was like, I don't, I don't understand. And they're like, well, because she's mixed and you're white. And I was like, and, that, and it was the week before my wedding and it was the first time I had realized it. Cause I had just fallen in love with her and I was like, oh yeah, she happens to be not the same color. But that, that's how it was. And, and one thing that I think is so, you know, hitting on what Tim said and what Charissa said is just checking our emotions, um, you know, uh, Destiny's Child did a remix. It's just emotions taking me over. And just emotions taking me over. Okay. So, anyways, but it was, um, but sometimes just figuring out, asking questions of our emotions. You know, one thing that is um, understanding where, where people coming from in Acts, you know, God talked to Philip. He said, there's an Ethiopian reading the word of God. Now, Philip and the Ethiopian were of different colors. And so he said, I want you to run up to him. And I believe we are to be a body of chariot jumpers where we are willing to jump on someone else's chariot. And here's the thing. Philip went up to the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian was elevated above him. It was a higher class. So... It was one of those things about like, can I submit to someone? He did it in the Bible. Can I submit to someone that is, a, is of a different race? And I think just any of those types of litmus, asking those questions, I think it's like, okay. And here's the thing, we haven't arrived. Like we all have, we, we're, we're not like, hey, we got it all figured out. You know, it's, so we're still trying to work on that and work through that. One thing is that, um, that I was telling them in the back is just understanding where people come from. Tim was saying a lot of people like, I have a solution, I have a solution. When most of the times they just like, it's like there's people that are hurting and they're like, I just want you to listen to me. Yeah. So quit trying to figure things out. You know, being, being a youth pastor, you know, working with those students, it's, it's like, okay, um, you don't have to be like someone to like them. And you just need to understand where they're coming from. And that way, you just listen. And I think listening is a good thing. But yeah, yeah that's where real recon racial reconciliation is going to happen. You know, the Tulsa Race Massacre, you know, for, for years, we've always talked about reconciliation, reconciliation, reconciliation here in this city. But it really hasn't happened because no one has really heard the story. And until we take time to say, you know what, I'm going to listen. I'm going to find out exactly, because how many of you guys have heard of the Tulsa Race Massacre before? I'm asking the question, how many have not? You see? How many people live in Tulsa and you have not? There's still people in here that have their hands up. They don't even know what it is. And I said massacre, but they, you might have heard it as the Tulsa Race Massacre riot. Well, if you find out, if you start learning information, if you get more details about it, there's no way you can call it a, a riot. A riot would insinuate there are two people that have altercation and they have faults. Mass amount of people. That, that's a riot. It was one group of people that annihilated another group of people. It's just short of a genocide, people. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. But unless you knew the history and you really took time to listen, we can't come up with re reconciliation. I think about a story of two boys and girls that, you know, they were having issues. Actually, two boys was having issues at the Dream Center, and they were just constantly fighting, constantly fighting. And we would separate them, and we would, you know, we would discipline them, and we'd think, okay, we've solved it. We have fixed the problem. And then they get back in altercation. And the kid was like, you don't know what he did to me. We never took time to hear what, we, what the child did to him or why he's splashing back. That's what's happened with our races. We haven't taken the time to hear. We're just trying to solve it, solve it, solve it, solve it. No, you don't know what you did to us. You don't know what they did. 
I need you to know what they did. Then we can solve. That's what reconciliation is going to have to look like. We have to listen. And it's this right here. Yeah, it's, it's what's happening right here. And I know it's uncomfortable sometimes to just listen or, or sit and go, give me 10 points. I want, I want to talk. Let's talk about faith and grace and let's talk about, you know, Paul the Apostle's journeys. And, but this is one of the healthiest things we can do at this conference is talk about what's going on right now. And, um, and it's good for us to be uncomfortable at times. It's a sign that you're, you're willing to grow. Um, when I went to Bishop Jake's conference this early, or earlier this year, it was Project Gideon, and he invited me to come to lunch with him, and it was Bishop, and there was about 10 other pastors, and I was the only one at the table that was Caucasian, and we were talking in that moment just about the racial climate, and I just, it was so good, because AJ went with me, so that way, you know, I'd have a buddy at the conference in Dallas, Texas, and so... <laughs> What? Oh. Are they trying to say because he was, I went black? Y'all racist? We talking about race and y'all like, guy, guy, guy. Get saved. The altar is open. <laughs> so, I know. But we were sitting there and we were talking. And, um, and, and we were talking about this conversation. And each pastor said, you know, I've addressed this from my pulpit. I've talked about this from my pulpit. And then that got to me. They said, Paul, have you, have you talked about some of this? I said, yeah, actually I have. And they said, how did your church handle it? And I said, you know, I feel like our church handled it pretty well. But I feel like this conversation, I said, you know, this year I'm going to do something different at our Victory Conference. I said it at that table. I turned to AJ. I said, we've got to do this. I said, we need to have a conversation on stage in our service, at our, at our conference like this, where we talk about some of these things. So what happened was about two years ago, there was a shooting in Tulsa, um, a police officer that shot a young African-American man in North Tulsa, about a mile and a half from the Dream Center. And national attention, um, all these news cameras showed up, uh, yeah, Al Sharpton showed up, and me and Tim and AJ all went downtown when, when Al Sharpton showed up, and we stood with the family and stood right next to um, his mom, his dad, his siblings, and we just said, hey, we're with you. We love you. We're praying for you. We're standing beside you, and um, there was a sign that, that one pastor was holding up from Tulsa that said, let's end racism. And he said, would you hold this with me, Paul? And I said, yes. And so, but what, what it requires, I honestly think, is everyone just putting ourselves in each other's shoes and being willing to talk about it and being willing to listen. And so, AJ, I want you to share a little bit on your side, just some of that, what we've walked through and talked through, you and I working together and, and some of these conversations we've had. Yeah, I pulled up a, a scripture here in 1 John 2, 11. But anyone who dislikes a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Hatred puts blinders over our eyes. And whether or not we actually think that we have that in our hearts... I would ask you, when's the last time that you've had a conversation with someone that's an opposite race? Have you had that collective conversation? Because it is important. And, you know, being, being transparent, a part of this conversation, there are moments, me being self-aware that I am a black man, just a few weeks ago, I was coming out of Target, and there was a, a, an older lady that was walking in front of me, and her car was actually parked next to mine. But there was a good distance between us and she kept looking over her shoulder. And I know that there are moments and times that I have to, and it doesn't, it doesn't offend me. Um, what do you say, Rhino Hyde? What's that quote? Heart of a dove, I purpose in my heart to walk in love. To walk in love, being intentional about love. For her comfort, 
I made a choice to walk two rows over to get to my car. Not because I had done anything wrong, but because I recognized that there was some discomfort. And so I'm not saying that I needed to take the low road, but I chose to walk in love. I could have quickly approached her and said, excuse me, ma'am, but that's not love. And so walking around, like 1 John 2.11 says, walking around with blinders, the blind leading the blind, well, I choose love in every situation. So part of that conversation that we had around that shooting, there was a lot of people in the church. There were some that appreciated the conversation, and there were some that said, man, the, the church shouldn't talk about that. Our worldview in the U.S. and America today was built on biblical principles. So Martin Luther King says, the day we become silent is the day we end. So the church needs to be taking the lead on these conversations. Why? Because God has called us. The church is not a building. We are the church. When you're in the bank, when you're in the grocery store, when you're at the dry cleaners, you are the church. So the church is mandated by the word to take the lead on the conversations. Why? Because we're to follow Christ. Christ took the lead. When Christ was persecuted, what, you know, the Samaritan woman, she was of a different race. He wasn't supposed to talk to her, but love compelled him to her and vice versa. So today I would, I would challenge your thought process. How is my love walk with those that are different than me? It's really good. And I think just to go off too, if you find yourself profiling someone as suspicious or dangerous, check your heart and repent. Just because of a because of their race. We were talking about, you know, people who lock their door 20 times in front of someone, and it's like, okay, we get it. You got a car lock button, you know? Uh, like, what? What? And I, I just grew up, mom and dad had John and I watch a lot of movies and read a lot of books to understand to try our best to understand um, and to have sympathy to seek to understand what other ethnicities have walked through. My first boss for three years was a woman from India and, um, and she had a different dialect to the way that she talked and, um, and she was so sweet but disrespected at times from other people. And it hurt me because people were rude to her um, and 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 were rude to the way that she, her English. And I thought, her name was Miss Rebecca. She was my boss. And I, I had to make sure that I wasn't gonna fall into that. Because um, it's so easy to fall into all kinds of making fun or profiling or um, saying things, joking and it's not okay, it's not okay. And so if maybe you grew up in a family where you said words or you commented a certain way about people or you profiled certain um, races that you would say, Lord, I'm breaking that generational curse of racism, it stops with me. I'm gonna raise my kids to love every child no matter what race they are, no matter how they talk, no matter what dialect of English they have, Lord, I'm gonna raise my family to love people the way that you love people. I was just gonna add in earlier, but um, <clears throat> you know, um, we felt in our hearts that we wanted our children to be raised to look at people uh, not only with the love of God and sensitivity, but also um, when it came to whoever they were going to marry, that it would be someone who believed in their beliefs, uh, their ideology, their, their mindset was going in the same direction. And, um, you know, I knew in my heart who um, I felt that y'all were going to marry, but I couldn't tell you that. I mean, you had to discover it. But, um, you know, from the time John was in the ninth grade, he was, you know, I said, you know, she's really sharp. I really think she's, you know, going after God and all that beautiful. And so, same with Ashley down there. And, uh, but, you know, I had to back off. I had to let them make that decision. And sometimes parents want to try to 
push things, you know, and make it happen. So I knew better than that. But, um, but you know, again, it was, uh, for me, what was so important was ideology and beliefs. Yeah. Because uh, when you marry someone, you don't want to be two different, uh, go in two different directions. And I knew that, uh, you know, in, in this situation that Teresa carried our understanding as well. And, uh, you know, later when, you know, later on, years later when Billy Joe passed, and of course Billy Joe was all for um, sensitivity and, and, and bridge building and um, making sure people felt uh, accepted and purposeful, uh, um, Going, purposefully going after all the races of our city and purposefully, intentionally. I mean, I was worship leader. And I made sure we had people of ethnicity, whether it was black, Hispanic, Asian, white, on our stage because I knew this is who we are. We want, we want people to understand this. But even after he passed, uh, I, someone came to me and said, you need a spiritual covering. And I said, well, I realize that. And I prayed, I said, Holy Spirit, you know who I need helping me as far as just believing in me. And there were two men, uh, there were others that I asked around me. One, one was a woman, in fact, because, you know, I thought, okay, I, I know I got to have this variety of spiritual covering. And, but uh, two of the people was uh, Bishop Keith Butler. And, the, and another one was uh, Bishop Oyedipo from Nigeria, Africa. Even though I knew I wouldn't see him that much, I respected him because he uh, not only was of a great, he had a great church, uh, 50,000 membership, but, you know, but he, he, he really connected with Billy Joe and I. And uh, he was a faith minister and a humble minister. I saw the character. I saw his belief system. I wanted that uh, to cover my life. And, um, and Bishop Keith, and interesting, I said to the Lord, I said, you, Lord, you send, when you want to confirm to me who's going to be that person in, in my spiritual covering, uh, let them say certain things, I mean, that give me the confirmation. confirmation. Both he and John Hagee, both on one occasion when they, different occasions when they came, both of them said the same thing, and I knew God was confirming this, but uh, both of them pulled me aside privately and said, listen, if anybody gives you any problems, you pick up that phone, you call me, I'll be here in a, a snap. And... Both of them said the same thing. They didn't even know they said that. Each one of them said that. But I, I saw that protection. I saw that, that willingness to cover my life. And, you know, I just say that, um, you know, our, our love, our sensitivity, our understanding of our beliefs, you know, I would have no problem being a member of their churches, you know, because I respect them. I, I, I see that I, I, I receive from them. And, um, and so I think, you know, there's so much involved in all of this. But, um, but I believe that God uh, calls people together uh, because we, we can understand and see things in the same vein too. Praise God. It's really good. There's so much. Yeah, thank you, Mom. Yeah. There's so much that we want to talk about um, Yeah, before he does, I want to say this. We should always pray for those in authority, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with every single thing that comes out of their mouth. And there's things that have been said in the current administration that are just not right about people. And I pray for our administration. I love them. I believe, yeah, our government. But... It's important that, that people recognize that the church stands for the love of Jesus and the words of Jesus carries the narrative for how we treat one another, not a governmental leader that's in authority. So anyways, um, someone was going to say something. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I just want to say really quick, I think you need to understand that the church must lead according to the word of God, and that's where we're bringing up all these instances where God shows us that we're to be together, that race shouldn't be a thing, but because we've made it a thing, we have to deal with it. And I wanna tell you why it's a thing. Charles Darwin, his book, Origin of Species, he ranked the races. 
So I bind the devil. So if any person, any intellectual, godless, atheist person tries to tell me that because I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm a conservative and black or whatever, whatever, I'm just going to tell them this. Listen, I know where your thought process comes from. Evolution is racist. It is racist. And we, that's why we stand with the word of God that God formed us from the ground and breathed life into us. And we are one blood. Praise God. We are one blood. And so you, you need to know what's up because they'll, add, they'll try to make it sound like they're for you. It's not that they're trying to not be for you. They don't know what compels them. And it's the enemy. And the enemy is all up in evolution, atheists, all that jazz. So listen, you stick with the supernatural power of the word of God, okay? I'm just letting you guys know what's up. Stay, stay woke, stay lit. It's a good word. Come on. Hey, we can get, I just say one yeah. thing? You know what was so special? Um, I love my wife. Um, uh, and I, w one thing that was so special is that, you know, some of us, if, if any of you guys played sports in there, you guys were aware of, like, some coaches would play certain players because of, like, their parents. Has anyone ever heard of politics and sports? Like, in high school and stuff like that? So, anyways, well, growing up, we played underneath this coach, and he was like, and he would be like, Paul, John, like, you're not good, so I'm going to play the best player. And it was good for us, right? And so we always were like, okay, you know, putting the best person the right thing. One thing that we do is we do tryouts for um, our productions for Christmas and Easter that we do here. And it's a major platform that people come that don't know Jesus and they see these productions and it opens up the door for them to, to come to the gospel, to have Jesus in their life. You know, and two, uh, I think it was two Christmases ago, this girl, she was... She was the most beautiful Mary, and she was black. And, uh, and so we put her, because she was the best one. And um, so, <clears throat> and so as, she, as she held baby Jesus, and then at the altar, all of these little girls from every, from every race, wanted a picture with Mary. And um, it, wasn't, it wasn't just little black girls, it was little white girls and, and all these other girls were like, I want a picture with Mary. And it's, so, and it's so incredible that like, you know, doing it on stage, but even that moment, man, I, I lost it because they saw her as Mary and it was, so, and it was one of those things where it was like, you held baby Jesus. And she's like, yeah, and, I, and I'll still talk to that girl. You know, she's gotten busy, so she hasn't been able to bend in some of the productions, but, you know, she brings that up. And uh, that really, really, that was something that was so special that I think is also a praise report that, you know, that kids even see it. You know, one thing that Sharissa said is she's like, you know what's cool? She said, at Halloween, there's a little white boy running around in a Black Panther outfit. And, and, and to me, to me, that's what was so powerful about that Black Panther movie it coming out. It was a prophetic out. movie. What was powerful about that movie was that you're going to have little white boys that want to be the Black Panther. Glory to God. I'm just saying, no, I, I, I'm, I'm saying I'm not talking about the 70s Black Panther, but, you know, I'm talking about the movie. Black Panther is a superhero. It's, it's a superhero movie. Y'all catch that? Okay. So anyway, what I'm saying, what, what I'm what. What, 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 is ha what, what that does is that children, children all of a sudden, they identify, a, a little white boy identifies this, this Black Panther as like just a hero and he wants to be him. It doesn't matter that he's white, but the hero's black. You know what I mean? Like I could go all into that, but that's anyway. Yeah, anyways. That's really good. Um, we're coming to the end. We've got about five, six minutes. Tim, you want to say any last words? I guess my last thoughts in this whole conversation would be just what we've been saying the whole time is it's love. You know, when we look through things through the lens of love, so often, you know, Pastor Paul was, talk was talking about just people checking their biases. You know, even, even African-Americans, like, you know, blacks, I know I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who was saying, man, I used to live downtown, and, and if I see a, I, I had to check myself a couple of times. He's, you know, brother, black guy, he's saying, man, I would, 
I'll see a, a guy walking down the street, and this big black guy, I'll lock my doors because I was afraid. I was like, well, I, he was like, man, I have to figure out, like, man, what, where did that come from? Like, how, how why, why am I feeling this way about this person? And really, truly, that's a thought that we need to ask. Everybody needs to ask themselves, not just whites, not just Hispanics, but everyone, black, white, everyone. We all need, and where is it coming from? Most of us come from the media. We have created this image of what a black man is supposed to be. That's why it's so great to hear about Black, black Panther and see what blacks are capable of. You know, or what does Hispanic people look like? What is an Asian person? When you think about Asian person, most people automatically think, oh, they're smart. Why? Because that's how the media has depicted them. Not that they're just smarter than us, but that's just how they have depicted them. What, they, what about Mexicans? How has media depicted them? What about African Americans? How, how the media depicted them? What about whites? How have media depicted them? And we have fast, we have created our opinions and our biases based on not the word of God, but the media. Like, the, like we're not viewing people through the lens of love. We're viewing people through the lens of the media. And so that's my encouragement for you guys today. Like, let's view people through the lens of love, not the lens of media. It's really good, Tim. AJ. You know, if I may, if, if everyone would just close your eyes for a second and just bow your heads. I sense here, even in this moment, that there are, there are people here that, that, have been, that have been hurt. You've just been hurt. You've been hurt or you, you felt like you've been frowned on. You felt like a castaway at times. And even the story that Pastor John was talking about two years ago about Mary, and it was an incredible sight to see about all races coming together. And that's exactly what heaven's going to look like. And I want to encourage you to evaluate your hearts. And right where you are, if there's been moments where you've been the accuser of the brethren, just right there where you are, ask God to just forgive you. And if you've been on the other side of that, you say, you know, no one knows about what happened to me when I was young or no one knows what, how I feel around this particular person or group of people. Just release that. Because the river of God flows with love. And don't allow the hurt and the wounds from the past to block what God has for you. What he has for your church, what he has for your orphanage, what he has for your school. What he has for you. Because there are people in direct correlation to the obedience and the assignment that God has given you. So Father, right now, we just ask for your blood to wash every heart, to wash every mind, even the sting of the memories of the past. Some have a deep sting, that memory, those memories when you were a child, those memories in the store. God, even heal in this moment the memories of the past. God's doing a major reconstruction on someone's heart right now. He's doing a deep work. Deep crieth to deep. The greatest physician of all, heal us. Jesus, we call upon you. We ask you to have your way in our lives, in our assignments, in our lands. God, we need you like never before. If you would repeat this prayer after me, Heavenly Father, I need you. I ask you to heal my heart to heal my mind. I'm all yours. Jesus, thank you that your perfect love casts out all fear. Fear of my past. 
fear of my current and fear even maybe of the future, I release it to you. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. And that's powerful. How many can just feel the power of God in this moment right now? If that's you, you need to stand up. If you're dealing with something as, as it relates to race, if you're bold, would you just stand up and we're gonna ask the believers around you, even if it was a memory of the past, would you stand up here in this moment? It's a bold ask. It's a bold ask. Yeah, thank you. Would the believers around her and him, yeah, there's more, and we'll wait because there are people's lives. There are people's lives. And only Jesus can heal the wound. But you must release it. Yeah, just begin to hug those people right now. God, we call upon you, Jesus. We call upon you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. No one left alone. If everyone would just stand up all across the room right now. And if there's no one around you, just begin to lift your hands and allow the Holy Spirit to pour a deposit even into you to make you sensitive to those that are in need, to those that are hurting right now in the name of Jesus. We exalt you, Father. We lift you high. You're worthy. You're holy. God is, is, is conditioning, just like a conditioner on your hair, on your skin. God is conditioning your soul. God is conditioning your mind. God is healing the deep wounds. Pray like this was your life hanging in the balance. That thing that's held you back is blocked the blessings. But the heavens, the floodgates of heaven are open right now. The flood, and you're going to walk in new blessings. You're going to walk in a new anointing. You're going to walk in a new healing, in a new power. You're going to hear from God like never before. Pray, saints. Even the thing that you've never told anybody that's happened, God is healing. Jesus' name. Put your arm around someone next to you across this room. Brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, we need each other. Tell the person next to you, I need you. Oh, I need you. Oh, God. Tell the person next to you, I embrace you just the way you are. I celebrate you. You are unique, valuable, important. I love you.
We're going to pray for, um, come on up here, Andrea. She works with a lot of the Latino children in our community who have been overlooked, you said, ignored, or... The Latino that have come here, there's two issues. One, they're Latinos, so they're not considered white or black, and they're not Americans. So there's two issues already. So in, in high schools, I work in nine different schools, either North Tulsa or East, especially high schools, the Latinos have to sit by themselves. They're always being put down. The um, fights, it's, it's always, I wanted to ask that, how do you deal, do you, how do you teach the children and teenagers how to be loving, how to be caring for each other in, in that area because the, the riots between blacks and Latino is huge and it's a, it's a reality, you know? How do we go with that? So I really feel that we need to pray this. This is something that has to be broken. To teach that to our teenagers has cost us so much. They didn't want, their parents teach them, you know, never right. trust. You know, be careful with that kind of people. That kind of people are all bad, and we're like, who, what is what is bad? You know, so you have to start teaching them, you know, and breaking their image that has been taught to them. Let's do it. Let's pray. Oh, hold hands. Andrew, you pray, and then AJ's going to pray. Oh, koye tembraka, shete braka labrora. Nongo kokuye te stende calabroco tembrara. Oh, koshete calabro conta la brasta te calabra. Neke kashandatu kulabra katuta calabro omba babacas tutu kulabra. Shembra calabroco de brabracas tutu brara. Father God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. The mercy that comes from your throne. The blood that is crying for mercy day and night for your body, for your for the people that you have died for. Father, we thank you so much, Locada. There is there is no difference in your throne. You died for all. You died for every child, for every black, Hispanics, Asian, white people. Father, you love them all and your heart is for souls, Lord God, that me people would know you, that people would know your son. So Father God, we lift up we lift up the Latino people that have come, look out to the United States. Father God, the, the people that have risked their lives, look out, for them to hope that their children would have a better, better life, look God. That's all they wanted. Father, they wanted a generation of, of Hispanic, a generation of people that would have a better conditions of life. We ask you in the name of your son Jesus, Father God, for your healing power, Lord God. Father God, to reach their mind, reach their heart in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord God, for salvation, Lord God, salvation upon these people, salvation upon this generation, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, we break the powers of darkness, Lord God, of division between Latinos and, 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 and black people and white people. We break the power of darkness, Lord God, that puts them down continuously. We break the powers of darkness, Lord God, in the schools, Lord God, in the high schools. Oh, cosendero, cosendero, la braca. Father, we, we ask you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, for your grace in the schools, in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, te le damos gracias, Señor, por todo lo que tú estás haciendo en nuestro país, Señor, en los Estados Unidos de América. Te pido, Señor, por los latinos, por, nuestro, por la gente hispana que ha venido de diferentes lugares, Señor. Padre, por los mexicanos que han venido de diferentes lugares de México. Señor, te pido, Señor, por restauración. Te pido por restauración entre latinos y, y gente negra, restauración con latinos y gente blanca. Señor, te pido por restauración en sus corazones, restauración en sus almas, restauración, Señor, sanación, Señor, sanación, Señor, en el nombre de Jesucristo. Señor, te doy gracias, Señor. Padre, cubro con la sangre del Cordero, aplico la sangre del Cordero sobre esta generación, Señor. Oh, sobre esta generación, Padre, que no pase esta generación 
generación sin tu salvación que no pase esta generación Señor sin tu amor Señor declaramos amor entre esta, entre esta cultura Señor en el nombre de Jesucristo Father we thank you for the burden removing yoke destroying power of God right now every mountain is destroyed the curse The curse is broken over our, this ministry. The curse is broken over your ministry, over your house, over your families, over even generations yet to come. Thank you, God, that you're birthing in us new things. Thank you, God, that you are doing a new thing in us. Rivers in the desert. And out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. Help us to be living water everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name, we pray and agree. If you believe God, give him a shout of victory in this place. Come on. Come on. John said this earlier, but I want to say it again. We are not where we want to be. Thank God we're not where we used to be, but we've got work to do. And I know... The post that I sit in at this church, God has stirred a conviction in me to be more intentional and to, to make more strides as a ministry um, in everything that we do, to continue to build that picture of what heaven's going to look like. And so how many of y'all would take on that same challenge in your ministry, in your life, that you would build that in your friendships and who you do coffee with during the week um, in every sphere that you would check yourself and say Lord help me to develop a stronger intentionality to be diverse and to pursue that in my life in my ministry Lord I thank you for this morning God I know it's just one piece of a big puzzle and Lord I pray that we would not give up we would not quit we would not be discouraged and we would keep making strides Lord in the direction that you've called us to move Lord that we would continue contending that heaven would invade earth your kingdom come your will be done in our churches as it is in heaven in Jesus name amen and amen I love you